For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis. I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things. You talk about Revolution in 68. No, we make the revolution before. Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a soul and minimize the waste and think a little before we, we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. Before Christmas, I went to visit this UK label's powerhouse of a creative director, Amy Powney, who is really leading the sustainable fashion charge in London. I actually didn't know when I arranged our interview what a massive eco-splash Amy was going to make at London Fashion Week, where I've just been. Mother of Pearl worked with BBC Earth to make a short film about fast fashion's impacts on the planet, urging consumers to think more about how their decisions affect our natural world. And do check the show notes to watch the film. Amy got the British Fashion Council on board and together they put on these amazing panel discussions right in the middle of the BFC's new consumer runways. And I went along and it was so bold because you've got these models strutting down the catwalk and it's a see now, buy now format. So they're showing what's in store right now. And all these fashion fans have bought tickets. And then in between, you've got these big conversations happening about difficult issues. There was also a very posh party that happened at Spencer House in St. James to launch the film. And there, Amy gave a beautiful speech about the need for cross-industry collaboration and for fashion to really change. She is so on the zeitgeist because, in fact, the whole of London Fashion Week was on fire with this stuff. And maybe you read the headlines, but Vivian Westwood turned her show into a political rally with really radical messaging as only Viv could. Her first tartan-clad model told us, something needs to happen this year or we're dead. Not sugarcoating that one, Viv. Activist group Extinction Rebellion staged a protest outside the shows, calling on us to declare a climate emergency. And loads of young designers proposed new ways of doing fashion. Amy, meanwhile, wanted to remind us to keep our sense of positivity. And I think that's really important. Anyway, this is exciting and it's full of big ideas. Amy tells her story how growing up off-grid, part of it in a caravan, informed her approach to waste, nature, resources and trying to live lightly on the planet. She explains how and why she's turned Mother of Pearl into an environmentally aware label. We talk about how much she loves David Attenborough, don't we all? But we also have a frank, honest discussion about how hard it can be to get the message out about the dire environmental situation we face, while also trying to do business and just stay happy and, you know, not cry, which I think many of us can relate to. Hello, Amy. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're actually in your house. We are indeed in my house. It's a nice privilege to be here rather than the office for a change. Well, thank you for having me. I did notice that it's next door to William Morris's own house that he was born in or grew up in right I know it's kind of one of my um inspirations it's always been in in my collections and then I moved next door to him we did I think it was for autumn winter 
08 or 09 we did the William Morris thing sort of really really early on and then it sort of just completely took off and everybody's been doing it and it sort of seems to not have stopped I mean I think um H&M just did a, a collaboration with William Morris oh, I did themselves too. yeah and I just thought are people still ready for it or still want it and it completely sold out I mean obviously it's H&M but it and it will sell out but um it's kind of amazing how that theme's just carried on and on well it's timeless but at the same time I think that Sometimes we're in aesthetic maximalist moments and yeah. sometimes we're in those kind of real, you know, yeah. 2000s minimalism. Yeah. But this decade is a maximalist decade, right? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it has been completely. Mm. I mean, we've always sold prints better than we've sold anything. But I do feel like there's a bit of a shift going into the minimalist side. I which... hate it because I'm here with all my tinsel and I like all my fashion <laughs> prints. <laughs> but you know what I think the difference is? anything goes now I don't actually think trends are so relevant so even though maybe I see sort of changes and things going on because we're so deeply engrossed in the industry I guess but actually I just think there's so much noise social media you know the there's just too much information out there so I kind of think trends don't really exist anymore I in some ways which is actually amazing because that means anything's possible which it wasn't before if you weren't on trend you know you weren't going to be featured <laughs> that was Roxy. That was Roxy running up the stairs um, could you to chase just my cat. Describe Roxy. Roxy is basically a living teddy bear, and uh, the best thing in my life, apart from my husband. And she's a sort of very small cockapoo. She's, um, but a she's basically just a treasure. teddy bear, which I recommend to anybody. They bring you definite happiness and good for the soul. All right, we're going to talk about sustainability. Yes. When I was planning these questions, I came to this realisation that Mother of Pearl and you are just not normal. And I say <laughs> that because most brands don't talk about sustainability at all. Yeah. Or if they do, they dip into like a yeah. really elementary element yeah. or just one bit for yeah. example as we said before yeah. we pressed record yeah we use recycled polyester yeah. and then they go tick done yeah, sustainability exactly, exactly exactly but you've got this embedded deep into the business and I thought that I was going to start by this is a bit unusual but instead of asking you questions I'm going to simply read some of your quotes back to you and ask you to elaborate yeah. there's five of them Okay? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Go for it. All right, number one. Sustainability is not a simple term. It's a mindset, a culture, a lifestyle, and one that is accessible to all. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, when people use the word sustainability and they throw it around quite flippantly, and again, that might be, you know, perhaps a brand has used an organic cotton or recycled polyester, and then they say, oh, we're sustainable. And actually, sustainability as a word is so much bigger than that. It's it's quite holistic. It's kind of a 360 vision of, of something uh, or a lifestyle that you could live. And I think that's really the key to the future and the key to successful businesses, successful consumer lifestyles and, you know, the, to sort of stop climate change and all the issues that are happening because really that means it's open to everybody. You know, not everybody can afford sustainable fashion. And I'm really about inclusivity rather than exclusivity. I mean, my childhood and where I grew up has sort of always kept that side of me alive and really you can't use the word sustainability for one thing it has to be an approach so a culture I mean it's interesting to use that word yeah and and I think you know when you have a business you can look at it from so many different angles it can be the way you run your studio you know what packaging do you use how do you what's the mentality of the staff in the room what do they believe how do you inspire them to change the way they live sustainability can just be the energy that you use to fuel your office or you fuel your company it can be 
organic cotton over conventional cotton it can be recycled over not but actually you have to constantly make, use that sustainable filter in every single thing that you do if you truly want to have that culture and that's the brilliant part of having that filter means that every choice you make you'll consider if you consider every choice you'll make better choices sometimes you won't make the best choice because you can't because financially you can't afford it or time doesn't allow that but if you've always got that filter then you get to make better choices continually mm. and that's a much bigger impact than just saying oh I've used a recycled polyester for instance okay fantastic this one sort of feeds into that a bit yeah. which is small things by all are greater than one person's individual fight absolutely I mean I've made Mother Apple as sustainable as I can and we're improving all the time but we're a tiny brand so my whole um, philosophy was inclusivity again and you know I work with the British Fashion Council and I've offered my services to other young designers like I can come and help you make your brands more sustainable because if I just do it on my own and I'm elitist about it and I hide my information, then how's that going to help the planet, right? Because this isn't just this isn't just about me finding some USP for my customers and mm-hmm. want them to come to me, which obviously we need that as a business, but this is about a change. You know, we've got 10 years for the one degree rise and I think, you know, we have to all join together and if the whole population change to renewable energy tomorrow that would make a bigger impact than my sustainable clothing absolutely so it's really about everybody you said we're a small business how roughly how big are you so we probably produce every year I'd say about 8,000 units 8 to 10,000 units I'd say across the year and we sell that globally to wholesalers and then we've just launched our own e-commerce too. I remember when I wrote my last book Wardrobe Crisis that I mentioned that Topshop produces 7,000 styles a year and that was back in like 2014. Yeah that's mine's my whole production. (laughs) We would probably make about probably 50 styles and then we would offer them in different colorways so I think samples we would probably make around 150 samples per year maximum 200 and their colorways of sort of the 50 and then our production units would be about eight to ten thousand you have an online store we do but you don't have your own standalone store no who do you stock so we sell to stores like Netapool in London. We have Netapulta, we have Selfridges, we have Harvey Nichols, we have Harrods. In Australia, we have Polar X, and we have a few smaller independents in Melbourne as well. And then across the world, we have people like Symphony in um, Dubai. We have The Modest, which is amazing, actually. They, well, aesthetically, they're amazing for the brand. They're really good. And then we sell to other majors across the world. But yeah, Netapulta is probably our biggest client. Okay, so number three is sustainability has always been a passion of mine since growing up off grid. Let's talk about that. That's a funny story. Um, So I sort of grew up until I was about 10 years old, approximately. We lived in a sort of relatively normal house in a village. In Preston? In near Preston, but it was a, it's actually, it's it's Lancashire officially, but it's on the border of Merseyside in Lancashire. And it was a village. We were a village in between, sort of sandwiched in between Preston and Southport. And um, my parents had a one acre of land that they bought when they were young. My mum had a horse. And they decided one day, probably from watching The Good Life too much. Oh, God, I've just written about this in my book. I love The Good <laughs> Do Life. you know that my name is really Felicity? Is it? You heard it here first, after Felicity Kendall. Really? Now, for listeners who have no clue what we're talking about, The Good Life was a happening 70s sitcom with Felicity Kendall and Richard Bryars with the names of the actors. And it was about these two families in a suburban street, or two couples, and... 
the good life couple were the ones who decided just to go completely bonkers, yeah. grow everything at home yeah. and be that kind of off grid, but in a suburban house. In a suburban really. house. And she was just fabulous, wasn't she? But, you know, grow your yeah. own vegetables, stop working. Yeah. It was actually kind of revolutionary. Yeah. But and that back to the land thing in the 70s was a big thing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we really watched that program a lot. And my parents probably were completely inspired by that. And so they decided one day just to sell up and move down to this piece of land that we had and build a house but it was on Greenbelt so you couldn't do that so they had so what's Greenbelt for those who don't know so Greenbelt is basically parts of the country Uh, I'm sure it happens in every country but in our country it's called Greenbelt and it's basically parts of the country you can't build on which is actually brilliant we want to keep that but we were on Greenbelt so you can't just build then you have to put in planning permission they don't accept it because they don't want urban expansion on these so did you live in a tent so we lived in a caravan for a long time um, while they fought really hard we had there was a barn actually on the um it was a stable block on the field so they were fighting to try and get that converted and my mom did it all on her own you know she did all the drawings she sort of kept going to the council and eventually she convinced them to pass this house but the house had to look exactly like the barn so we had hardly any windows and things like that the only thing they let us do was um twin pitch the roof so how old were you when this happened i think i was probably 11 when we moved down there into the caravan and what are your memories of living in that way it was hard I mean, it's amazing. I have the most amazing memories because we lived completely differently and it's probably shaped who I am today, which I owe, you know, so much to. But at the time it was complex. You know, we were going to school. We were the weird kids. I mean, it was an hour walk just from our school because it was really in the middle of nowhere. We didn't have... Do you walk every day? I used to walk or cycle to the school, yeah. And my parents didn't have a car for so much of, you know, our childhood. So we had a bicycle. My dad built the first ever trailer to go behind a bicycle. Now you see them sort of ready around. The first ever. The first ever. <laughs> I actually think it's the first ever. And sometimes he'd take us to school in that. I mean, it was so embarrassing. You know, that age, sort of going to high school in a trailer behind your dad's bicycle, you know, not so good. But... In that kind of off-grid is how we would refer to it these days, yeah. lifestyle. What was sustainable about it and how did you live? So we didn't have mains water, we didn't have mains electricity, we didn't have anything. Totally off-grid. And it was literally totally off-grid. We lived in a caravan, so I remember my dad sort of fashioned himself a well, so he got this huge sort of big plastic pipe and sunk it, um, and then we had to pump the water to get the water out of the ground. It came from the ground. It teaches you something about convenience or the lack of it, doesn't it? Because in our current lifestyle mm-hmm. generally speaking yeah. you turn on the tap there's water exactly. you turn on the heating when you're cold yeah. in Australia you turn on the air conditioning as soon as it gets too hot yeah. you know we're so yeah. cocooned from the Absolutely, elements and everything yeah. is just there I mean that's why I think we have such a problem for example with plastic pollution because we just expect our food to be yeah. present Absolutely. and fresh and yeah. doesn't matter where it's come yeah, yeah. from yeah, yeah. I mean we couldn't watch I mean Home and Away Neighbours my favourite programmes after school you'd be pleased oh, to know but you know we couldn't just go home and do that because we didn't have electricity so we had to if it was windy I mean when we first moved down there we didn't even have a wind turbine because that took a few years for them to save up and buy and um, you know we'd have to wait for my dad to come home and turn the generator on or if it wasn't windy like we weren't allowed to watch it and you know so electricity was this thing that was actually a precious thing it wasn't a readily available thing so you know we were upset when we couldn't watch what we wanted to watch or you know we didn't get the sort of convenience that everybody did so Mm. I guess in a way it's People say, did living off-grid, has that inspired me to be sustainable? I don't think that has. I don't think that was the main reason. But I think my intrigue to where things come from arose from 
not having it, I think. I remember when I was at school, my teacher's uh, um, parents' day would say to my parents, I mean, Amy's so brilliant, but can you please tell her to stop asking questions? I was that kid that was like, wait, you can't tell me that this table's made of, you know, atoms that are all moving around there because like, I can't see that. And you can't just tell me that. You've got to show me that. So they'd be sort of writing on the board, making us copy it down. And I'd just have my hand in the air the whole time <laughs> going, wait, I, you've got, like, how, it doesn't make sense. Like, you have to explain it. So, like, I sort of exhausted to my teachers anyway so I think I've always been quite inquisitive okay we're going to get on to how you then made the transition into fashion but I've got two more of these statements yes. to read out to you number four is the lengths we've gone to at mother of pearl are just the beginning of what I hope to be a global change that I would like to be part of along with you yeah I think inclusivity is the most important thing this isn't about us as a brand saying hey look what we've done this isn't a bragging situation this is really no frills which was our first dip into a completely sustainable collection was a case study rather than I hadn't designed the collection I hadn't worked out what I wanted I just had to go back to economy and geography and work out where things are grown where things are made how I can sort of look at my supply chain to see if it was even possible I didn't know if you could truly trace something back I didn't know how to make it that sustainable so it was really a case study and once we'd learned what we'd learned then we created a product off the back of it but really it was a case study to if we can do it then so can other people I mean we don't have readily available income to just spend on extra sort of you know supply chain research and things you know we didn't hire in another person or team to do this we just did it ourselves I like the way that you in that statement though talk about how you would like to be part of something but then say along with you yeah it's movement building it's movement building and that's the only way this is going to work it's not just about us making this brand this is a way that if we all club together so designers businesses consumers all come together with the same mindset and change the way we think just a little bit then we can all come together and make a movement no one can do it on their own Okay, the last one, number five is, in my opinion, it is not the consumer's duty to worry about the supply chain. Yeah, I mean, I don't think as a consumer you should wonder if the brand has killed people along the way or sort of created huge environmental impact on the way. That's my duty as a producer to check that. Customers should vet the brands that they look to buy or the you know the from food to fashion to anything I think it's their duty in the work the way the world is right now unfortunately but I shouldn't be allowed to produce something that isn't through stringent guidelines and trading standards I shouldn't even be allowed to happen but it is it's my duty as a business owner and a producer to do that okay you touched upon no frills. When I think of no frills, I think of supermarket. That's exactly what it is. Home brand yeah. beans. Yeah, that's exactly where it comes from, which again was my childhood. That's what we grew up on. What does no frills mean to you as a concept with this collection? So no frills was just this. I mean, Mother of Pearl's whole philosophy has been serious fashion, not to be worn too seriously. You know, we don't take ourselves seriously. Yeah, because you've got big red satin bows on your shoes with pearls exactly and we do campaigns for children in them or we make funny you know we did the secret life of micro influencers which was a take on the secret life of five-year-olds and you know we just have a bit of a play with what we do and so when I came to create this sort of core collection I knew it had to be quite we wanted to make it quite minimal and quite timeless but at the same time I wanted to instill the humor that we always have and how could I make something that kind of looked more minimal and sort of more simplistic, which sort of equals... It's still got frills, mate. It's still got frills. <laughs> like actual physical ruffles. Physical ruffles, even though it says no frills, it has frills on it. But it was about, ha you know, I don't... 
how can I make this product that's still sort of mother of pearl? Like we're not going to do the sort of, you know, big satin bows and the frills and the, you know, the, all the florals and things like that. We weren't making this maximalist because we were making this a sort of trans-seasonal product. But the idea was to have it to be as traceable as possible. Yeah. From so, farm, if you like, to exactly, frock. Exactly. So no frills terminology which is exactly the supermarket cheap line which I grew up on Quicksave was our supermarket and no frills was the branding and so really it was the idea of no frills does what it says on the box I mean it tells you exactly what it is there's absolutely no bullshit there's no you know the idea between a no frills tin of baked beans and a Heinz tin of baked beans what they were exactly the same product inside the tin it's just that one had a bright blue label and lots of color and print and they had adverts on television and billboards and the absence of marketing it's the absence of marketing and it was this idea of it is what it is we're going to tell you exactly what it is and also we played with the idea of the food packaging so we put things like no artificial content or and we put like the weight of the garment on it and things like that and and the other thing around that is that i believe the future of fashion should be what happened in food so i like the idea that one day your label and your garment won't just be allowed to lie and tell you one place something was made on it that actually has the full um the way food is now marketed that we should have that in our supply chains for fashion okay give us a bit of an example of perhaps a garment from the no frills collection yeah range how yeah. should i describe it yeah collections are collection. Um, what does this traceability look like? Let's talk about a jacket. Yeah. So, for instance, one of our... I mean, if you look at the denim, um, denim is one of the worst products around because cotton... Well, it's not one of the worst products around. It has a big set of problems, and that is mostly the water consumption and the pesticides used in the growing of cotton. So, for me, when we looked into denim, it was like, what's the gold standard of doing this better? So, we not only tried to make sure it was got certified cotton, which basically means the workers have been paid correctly, it was organically farmed. Organically farmed cotton is so important over conventional cotton, and the pesticides are not used. It's crop rotation, which is how they grow the cotton. So we wanted to make sure that the the actual fibre itself was correct and didn't have an environmental impact. It obviously is a very thirsty crop, so it still uses a lot of water. But if you don't put pesticides into it, then at least the runoff of that is still a clear water. And safer for workers as well. Safer for workers as well, pesticides. And more nourishing for the soil. Yep. Absolutely. Well, the soil dies if you use pesticides after a few years, which is why farmers end up in a mess because they basically lose their land because it now doesn't grow the crop that they survive on. So you've got this fibre that at that stage is organic and has been produced fairly. Fairly, and people have been paid. Then it was about we have to spin it, we have to weave it, we have to turn it into a garment, and then we also have to dye this garment. Then it was about how do we produce this, how do we spin it, weave it. And then for me it was about also creating it in a close proximity because most shortening the supply chain shortening the supply chain because most of your garments have traveled to at least five countries before you get them so we looked at where is cotton grown in the world and then who manufactures it so turkey is the second biggest producer of organic cotton after india and they also have a massive manufacturing set. So, I mean, so do India too. But we ended up in Turkey because there's a really great denim company over there who basically... Is it Isco? Isco are the people that we're using. Well, they're actually a big company. So they have a part of their company that's very brilliant, but they actually spin and weave it all within the borders of Turkey. And and uh, actually they work have worked very hard on the sustainability credentials of some have. of those fibres. It's, yeah. it's good. Yeah. And then um, we found a manufacturer out there who'll work with smaller quantities because Turkey notoriously works with big quantities. And he is also certified by the Nordic Swan label, the GOT certification. So he also knows how to wash 
the garments because uh, denim is also stonewashed and or we it used to be stonewashed now it's chemically washed he knows how to do it environmentally friendly because actually we try to make it here actually down the road there's an amazing company that uses isco denim and manufactures it but they can't wash it sustainably and what was great about making it in turkey is it was geographically all closed my supply chain was much tighter i could trace the whole thing and i knew that it was also going to be washed and finished with the correct standards too just to pick you up on Nordic Swan, mm-hmm. could you sum that up? So Nordic Swan and the GOT certification are all certifications, a bit like your Soil Association for Food, and they're independent certification bodies that basically um, put a set of guidelines into how you manufacture a garment. And Nordic Swan is actually better than GOTS in terms of like its credentials. So if you felt we actually don't certify our final product because I don't think the consumer's ready, and it's a very expensive process and a timely process, but we produce exactly under those standards basically Um, and it just means it's like the gold standard of how you manufacture everybody's been paid fairly the chemicals are used are the safest possible what about cut and sew in this particular garment that we're talking about so you can't have a nordic swan or a got certification for your factory if you don't pay your factory workers the correct wage which is what's great about that it's not just a certification that says okay it's organic It also ensures, because I can't ensure my cotton pickers get paid a fair wage. I don't have connection to them like that. We don't have the power to get there to them. But I know if I buy it through GOTS, they've been paid because the actual company can't be certified if they don't hit all those standards. And so what's the final piece of this puzzle for this particular garment on No Frills? So that would become a denim jacket with our pearl uh, shoulders, which the pearls aren't sustainable, I'm afraid, but they're things we're working on. Um, But it's a a jacket that retails for £295, and it's got our signature pearl shoulder on it, and it's our best-selling denim jacket. And what was amazing is we can retail it £295, whereas our wool alternative in our main collection, because of the supply chain, even though it is still sustainable, there's more people in the process and there's more countries it's travelled to. That retails for £895. And what was amazing about this process is we thought it would be more expensive. But by cutting the supply chain down and going back to source, it's so much cheaper. Wow. Which is an amazing... Yeah, we didn't think that would happen. The perception persists that if you're going to do something ethically, transparently, sustainably, it's going to be bumper price. Exactly. Well, we assumed that too. So it was a really nice surprise for us. And again, the case study was proven right you can do it and do it for the right money you launched this last year yeah so we launched no frills in store last year how likely is it that you'll make all your collections in a similar way now that's my aim so Mm. we've just uh designed and finished sampling our autumn winter 2019 collection and i think we're at 60 percent sustainable on our main lines and by spring summer 2020 we aim to be 100 percent sustainable fantastic so interesting i just want to briefly touch on what mother of pearl is it's not actually your company no it's not my company it is actually part of my company so it wasn't my company but now but you didn't begin it i didn't begin so but you went to intern there right out of fashion school how long ago roughly so 13 years ago i left i graduated from where uh, from kingston university and so your first job was at this company yeah what was great about it? I so mean, my, you obviously liked it because you're still there. Yes. Well, my first job actually was as an intern was at Giles Deacon. And I did oh, yeah. that whilst I was at uni. He's and, amazing. I mean, it, was, it was in his heyday. I mean, it was literally amazing. And I felt actually like I didn't even want to go to uni anymore because I was really experiencing, you know, the industry as the way you read it in Vogue. I was at Giles at that time. So it was amazing. And then when we graduated... I mean, I needed to be paid something. And Mother of Pearl was offering paid internships in a way. So I went in a super junior. Um, um, the founder, Maya Norman. Maya Norman, yeah. 
can you tell us who she is? So my um, set up the company a long, long time ago, actually, I think almost 20 years ago she set it up. And she is the ex-partner of Damien Hurst, the artist, so she set it up as a fun sort of brand. And I began working there, and the brand was very different back Was it then. really small? It was really small. There was about three of us that worked there. I just sort of cut fabric and swept the floor and did all those sort of running around things. And we actually used to collaborate with artists back in the day, which was really fun. But about five years ago, my sort of passion for the brand and sustainability and kind of growing it had really taken over. And sort of over the years, I'd sort of gone from being a, an intern to, you know, sort of running the studio. And five years ago, you know, I have like a wonderful relationship and I'd sort of tired of it in a way. She knew that it was my energy and my passion and, you know, I really wanted to do it. And so she just gave it to me, basically. So for the last, it's actually six years ago now because time goes so <laughs> quick. But yeah, it's basically been half mine for six years, but Maya's completely silent. I'm interested in the idea of a sustainable I want to say luxury, but perhaps you don't position yourself that way, but a high fashion yeah. sustainable brand yeah. that is really emphatically about being sustainable yeah. as well as beautiful. Yeah. It's not very common. No. Well, that was my fight because, let's face it, if we make sustainable things that look like hemp, sacks, nobody wants to wear them. And actually, that was the biggest stigma. Although I did want to wear an actual coffee sack that I showed you earlier. <laughs> by this London duo, Alice Lee. Oh, well, she turned it into another garment, so that's different. But, but that whole, yeah. the connotation, which the connotation does still and the fashion around. And the fashion industry is not interested. You know, editors of top publications and things, they need to put fabulous product out. That is what the industry is founded on. You can't just turn it into something that it's not. If it's just worthy without the beauty, no Yeah, one exactly. No one, you need it, worthy and beauty. But why do you think there's so few offerings that are in line with what you do? It might aesthetically look different, but just on at that level, because actually, I could count them on one hand. I think that nobody knew until very recently en masse not nobody Naomi Klein knows about it Patagonia knows about you know there are lots of people that did know about it but on the mass like we didn't know that the textile industry was the third most destructive industry on the planet you know nobody even thinks like that they think oh oil and gas and putting the heating on and the cars and the, and the airplanes that's what people have thought about when they thought about climate change tech the fashion industry is the third sort of most polluting up there so I think it's a very new publicly announced Topic. I'm going to have to pick you up on that because I have shared this on Instagram recently. The oft quoted stat, which you didn't quote, which yeah. is the fashion industry is the second most polluting after oil and gas, is actually not true. I will share some links in the show notes, but Alden Wicker has done some really good work on this from EcoCult. And basically, we can't find out what it is. Is it the third? Is it the fourth? Is okay, it the fifth? Right. Alden Wicker's good on this. I don't know this. She dug it out. And actually, its origins are spurious. So we don't okay. know, but we know it's a big polluter. And it depends on yeah. what you're looking at. Is yeah. it water? Yeah. Is it? But that's the yeah. thing. It's so varied. You've got water. You've got pollution. You've got pesticides. You've got social. The only reason I wanted to say it was because quit with the quotiles about second most. Okay. It's not even true. I didn't know that. Well, I didn't think it was second. I thought it was third. But it's I didn't even know. Often, most people giving a keynote will start with that slide. Really? But it's not true. That's amazing. It might be true. It's just not verifiable. It's not verifiable. But I think it's useful for us to put it in those terms because it just shows how big a problem we're facing. Yeah. Yeah. But if you talk about how people many people just weren't aware of the impact yeah. even so now that we are yeah. I still feel like there's such a lag in terms of great design that addresses sustainability at its core I don't know how to say it without sort of maybe being slightly on PC but the biggest grapple I have 
is if I sit around a dinner table and tell my friends, you know, I read the Guardian article recently about the United Nations paper and the 10 years and whatever, and I was just like, this is basically like saying, we know in 10 years' time we've got a war on our hands, right? So, you know, if somebody... And you're all just sleeping. We're sleeping. And sleepwalking in towards And the it. saddest thing, I actually had a huge, not argument with my husband, we had this big conversation about it. And I cried because I was like, I want to try and do something super positive, right? And I'm trying to make a difference. But it seems like I'm the bearer of negativity, which I try so hard to actually promote it with Mother of Pearl. The whole marketing is positivity and positive change because I feel that's the way to inspire humanity change anyway but when you do read things like that and it hurts me I think let's all talk about this and do something about it people just go silent and that for me is the scariest and saddest part of humanity in a way that it's not a topic that I feel like when people are faced with a problem they want to bury their head in their sand and not everybody of course but I think people just don't know how to react to those big problems and I'd say nine out of ten people that I talk to don't see it as a possibility they see it as negativity and for me I see it as possibility to change it now like we've been given this amazing piece of information that this is what is going to happen people didn't know that when world war ii was about to happen like they just that i mean they probably did sort of in the run-up to it but not 10 years before it we knew that this is going to happen we know this is going to happen we've got this amazing we can change we could steer in a different direction so it's like this amazing opportunity but everybody sort of is putting their fingers in their ears and going la 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 and it's really like mm. i'm finding it really hard to kind of work out how to deal with that and i think in our industry it hasn't been readily talked about and as on pc potentially is what i'm about to say is i think designers are going to change because they're going to have to because brands like mother of pearl and other brands that are changing consumers are engaging with it so they're going to need to be doing it if they want to keep their customers and i think that is how the mass will change as opposed to doing it from mm. that information not burning their ears the way it does i to actually me. have said a similar thing just recently just to friends but just saying if you don't have a line on this you're about to get into a position where you're looking extremely old-fashioned and you're losing out so it used to be a privilege you know I got into this space because of purpose because I want to change things and I did that a few years ago and this is my grand passion okay fine you're obviously the same but I think actually you don't need to necessarily have a grand passion for this anymore you actually just need to want to continue in business Oh, and life, and living mm. and your children you know it's and you're so true oh, lifestyle wise absolutely yeah. I think um that I think that'll be the main change that happens I started a meeting yesterday actually and people were other designers we were a round table of other designers and they were talking about oh you know our goals for next year is like sustainability you know a lot of people are doing it because we've had more press in the last four months than I've ever had in my entire career which is not why we did it but it's incredible well they're catching up to you and editors want to write about it. I think editors are exhausted by the sheer amount of product that they have to talk about. And I think they're feeling that they're losing their way a little bit. And like all of a sudden, a fashion brand comes out that they already love and want to wear. And then I just steer it in the right direction. And I think it was like a hallelujah moment for so many of them. And it was really exciting. And, you know, you sat down and you sort of went to do another interview and everyone sort of goes in with the same thing. And then all of a sudden, they're elated by the end of it. And I think... Other designers are going to want that amount of coverage mm. too. And well, good. I mean, yeah. we can use it. But the other thing is that I think in a very noisy world where yeah. you're saturated with 
you know, a million things on Instagram every day and yeah. a million news headlines. Actually, people want some substance and yeah. something that has Absolutely. proved that you've got yeah. some thought behind what yeah. you're doing. Pretty isn't good enough, is no. it? I sat in a, a really interesting seminar, actually, about six months ago. And the woman sort of started, she was sort of from tech and innovation background. And these people sort of blow my mind because I'm like the least techie person, but I know it's the future and I somehow need to catch up. But, you know, um, and she said imagine before we had the sort of online shopping experience you went into a shop and you wanted to touch it you wanted to feel the garment you wanted to try it on and how did it make you look but now we're looking at it via a screen right so the screen is telling a story before you've even touched it and felt it and all this we're adding another layer of process into the shopping experience and she was saying imagine when like narrative now is so important because you know you go on to I don't know let's say you're going online well the sensory is is delayed so you're not just touching it so you need narrative because that comes before sensory and she said imagine when narrative is number one when we're all online and we're all shopping yes finally my time which is why we launched our attribute filter on our online shop too. It's, a, oh. it's ahead of its time. But that means that you can say, okay, before I think, I need a little black dress. It's like, actually, I want an organic product. And then you can search all the organic products and see what else comes up. And for me, that was, a, when I talk about sustainability being a mindset, this was mm. part of that. If actually you could, rather than choose the garment you think you want based on the influence that you saw online and this pink dress that you must have, you went, well, I'm, I'm in the market for buying myself something new. I feel like I'm ready for buying a new dress or something. Before I even consider what it looks like, I'm going to ask myself about its ethics, search those ethics, and then choose my garment off the back of that. So me, that was about promoting that idea of this mindset as well as and changing the way you think about shopping so interesting I'm so glad that you mentioned what you're doing online in terms of innovation when I looked 28 garments were listed as traceable from field to final that is so brilliant but just to explain what that looks like and we'll share some links to the website when you shop on mother of pearl you can now look for sustainability attributes alongside size and garment type. Absolutely. It is revolutionary. Yeah, totally. I mean, you go onto Netta Porter, you can filter by colour, size, midi, mini, maxi, etc. No one's filtering by attributes yet. Yeah, responsible yeah, use respons- of water. Absolutely. Or well, natural fibres. I'm, I'm quoting from you that these are some of the attributes yeah. that you list. Whereas on if I was box. shopping for food, I absolutely would want to know before Wheat any free or whatever. Yeah, if I go on to, I don't know, Waitrose or Farm Drop or something and I want to buy my food, I search organic before I look at the product because I want them to come up first, right? So why would you not want to smother your body in something that has the same qualities than the ones you want to put inside your body so good you're so clever amy no, thanks i'm trying love you and you're a northerner i love I'm the northerners. Northerner, yeah. i don't sound like a northerner anymore though neither do i no. we got it still yeah. in there i want to finish up just by talking about your london fashion week show by yes. the time this goes to air this will have just happened so we have a really exciting project and we were contacted by bbc earth who do incredible things. I mean, David Attenborough is my living God. And, um, you know, they contacted us and said, let's do a collaboration. And I was like, I don't think I can make another garment. I mean, what's it going to say? Mother of Pearl, BBC Earth, and sort of, I don't know, embroider a parrot on it? They came to you. They came to us, yeah. And it was was product-focused. But they're very aware of, you know, they don't want to just make product that's, you know, unsustainable. You know, that's why they came to us in the first place. And I just said, look, the BBC are the most educational tool that this country has, and other countries, it's not just in the UK. And let's do this project, but let's use it as a platform to 
communicate a really positive message and it's been incredible i was sat in the boardrooms with the bbc started off with a couple of bbc earth team then it added in the film crew then it added in the bbc and by the end of it it's have you gone had sir david so at the table we haven't had wow. sir david at the table but he's my life dream would be to go back a few years when i was a kid but if david atta could have read, read me a bedtime story when i was a kid that would just be the i mean his grandchildren are the luckiest children i sat just for a cup of tea with david in fact yeah. just to look at him i know did and you see his speech COP24 which was amazing because he's never really spoke out about that those things before but I think he knows and I think it's his he knows the power of his voice what he just did for plastic with Blue Planet has blown it out of the water literally and now he can do that for anything nobody understands the impact of the textile industry it's huge whether it's the second third fourth fifth it is huge because we are making what's the statistic it's 100 billion garments a year 100 billion garments double a year. what it was in 2000 Double what it was in 2000, with only 7 billion of us on the planet, making 150. And, and how, do you know how much we throw away? Three, or incinerate? Three in five of them end up in landfill in the first 12 months. And they're true facts, right? And so I just think he's got the perfect voice to be able to put this message out. So full Fashion Week, it will be the first time that fashion and innovation and environmental issues have all come to the table and been discussed. And I'm making sure it's fabulous and glamorous the way the fashion industry needs it to be. So we're going to have one full day's worth of talk and we'll work in the British Fashion Council who are completely behind it which is incredible so i'll have one whole day which will be innovation and talks can i come you can definitely come and then we'll have one uh, big uh, very very sort of high profile evening event uh, hosted by somebody fabulous so it's not just a show no nope. this so is the, like a whole oh, yep and on the evening we will uh, showcase a short film that we'll make hopefully with Atom Brent if not it'll be someone else who's fabulous and basically that will have all the top people in the room in our industry that can make an impact and difference from retailers to designers to editors and inspire them with the video that we create that also be a video going out to the whole population about the consumer habits around shopping and then we'll also be doing our show and actually so inspiring to work in the industry right now where we can talk to these amazing people you know I'm not just talking to a wool supplier who's telling me you know about the new tweed for the season like this is innovation (laughs) excitement I'm excited I'm I'm delighted thank you very much Amy thank you so much for having me that is just terrific ten times terrific it's getting hard My parents feel that I'm defending you We tell them all that they are wrong Because I love you Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you we're okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends don't feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you